In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But now, but now, this is the phrase that we really want to pay attention to in Romans chapter 3. But now. Those are words that would be very easy to gloss over and to miss. They're unassuming words, they're common words, yet they clue us in that something better is coming. I don't know if you remember old late night television with the infomercials, right? They would sell you some deal, then they'd say, but wait, there's more, right? But wait, there's more, right? Something better is coming. In our reading from Romans, that but now serves the same purpose. But now makes all the difference. There's more. And so although in English these words are slight, in St. Paul's Greek they stand out. If you were reading the Greek, you couldn't miss them. They're emphatic and they grab your attention. But now. But now everything has changed. But now is the hinge on which turns two stories that we have to tell this morning. First is the story that St. Paul tells to the churches in Rome. Paul had never been to Rome before he wrote this letter. He only knew of them and knew some of what they were wrestling with as a church. Because so much of what was going on in the church in the first century was trying to figure out what does it mean to be God's people in light of what Jesus Christ has done for them. The early church was a mix of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and it was complicated working out the details of how they were going to live together. The Jewish believers wondered about their status as God's chosen people. They had the promises made to their father Abraham. They had the scriptures, the law, and the prophets. What did it mean for them to now be one with Gentiles, with non-Jews who had none of that? Well, Paul is making the argument that there is one gospel for both Jews and Gentiles. He's making the argument that Jesus Christ is the one Lord who saves them all. So Paul begins his letter arguing that both Jews and Gentiles are all equally sinners in need of God. He says that non-Jewish people, Gentiles, have the law of nature that testifies against them. And so he argues that Gentiles are obviously wicked and they have no excuse before God. They are unrighteous sinners. Likewise, Paul argues that Jews are sinners as well. They have the law of God that was given to them through Moses, and the law shows just how sinful they are. And so in our reading, Paul sums it all up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's one common problem, no matter if you're Jewish or if you're a Gentile. We are all sinners, and we're all unable to save ourselves. So Paul says the law doesn't save anyone. In fact, he says the law points out just how sinful we are. It gives us full knowledge of our sin, but it does not give us the hearts to be righteous. So he says Jewish people can't just point to the law and say, well, that saves us. Likewise, Gentiles can't claim to their good works and claim to be saved. He says we're all unrighteous. We're all sinners. And when we're confronted by God's law, we see just how unrighteous we truly are. But now, and that's the hinge. This is where everyone turns. But now, Paul writes, God declares us righteous through what God, through what God has done in Jesus Christ. 
now we receive justification. That is, we receive the declaration that we are saved and made right with God by a free gift. Salvation is all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what Paul's conclusion boils down to. But now, but now Jesus Christ has saved us, all of us, Jew and Gentile. We cannot claim to be saved because of one or the other, because of our identity. We cannot claim to be saved because we follow the rules. We are saved through what Jesus Christ has done for us. This salvation we receive is all through trusting in Christ. That is all. And so that's why in 328, Paul says, For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Likewise, on Reformation Sunday, we don't want to forget the story that brings us together this morning as Lutherans. Paul's little phrase, but now, made all the difference for a 16th century friar named Martin Luther. Just as Paul argues in Romans, Luther was very well aware of his sin. He knew, deep down, he felt it, that he was far away from the glory of God. And he knew that he was incapable of saving himself. In fact, in Luther's day, there was no question about this. In our day, it's sometimes difficult to get people to believe that they are sinners. We're conditioned not to hurt anyone's feelings. We're conditioned to believe that self-esteem is king, everyone deserves a trophy, and so we can be uncomfortable confronting sin. But in Luther's day, there was no question. In fact, people knew they were such sinners, they did not believe they should be near the church. They rarely, if ever, received communion. They were taught that they were too sinful to understand the Bible, and so it was not taught to them. The work of the church was left only for the clergy. Prayer was for monks. The mass was said in Latin, a language that people did not know, and it was said in a quiet voice, so people had no idea what was going on. And when you went to mass, your intention was just to be sort of close to something holy. You did not expect to benefit from hearing the word of God. You did not expect to benefit from preaching or from the sacraments. And you knew that when you died, you were going to purgatory and that there you would have to work off and suffer for your sins. Or if you were rich enough, perhaps a family member would buy an indulgence which would shorten your time in purgatory. And so it was such a bleak time for religious people Many people lived under the weight of their sin. Their consciences were burdened, and they rarely ever heard the gospel of forgiveness. They rarely associated the news of Jesus Christ with good news. And so even Luther, who was a priest and a teacher, shared this sentiment. Luther says that he looked up to Christ and could only see how sinful he was. He knew that he could never confess enough to be good enough to be righteous like Christ. And so Luther says that he only feared judgment. He saw little that was hopeful about Christianity, little that was hopeful about the faith. This changed for Luther, however, when he studied the book of Romans and he was confronted by Paul's words here in Romans chapter three. When Paul says, but now, 
It was a phrase that reverberated in Luther's heart. Luther knew he was a sinner. But now, as he read Romans, he saw that it was not about what he had to do to earn his salvation. It was about what Christ had already done for him. It was all because of what Christ had done. And Luther came to see that the selling of indulgences, that all the superstitions that were being kept alive in the church, all the good works one was supposed to do to earn salvation, those were all nothing compared to what Christ has done for us. Luther realized everyone's focus was on the wrong thing. It wasn't about what we do. Our salvation is about what Christ has done for us. We are sinners, but now Christ has come for us. And so your life too as a Christian has a but now exclamation point to it. You are in fact a sinner far away from the glory of God. You stand under the conviction of the law of God. But now, but now you have been justified by faith, which is God's grace alone, God's free gift alone. But now, your identity is no longer as a sinner who stands in condemnation. Your identity is as one who's been saved by the Son of God. Your relationship to God is restored, not because you have done anything, not because God requires you to save yourself. You are saved by trusting in Christ alone. And this is a gift, a gift we receive by faith alone. Amen.